0: In three, two, one.
1: Are you looking to avoid burnout, but still maintain high engagement for yourself or your team? My guest on this episode is a beacon of transformation for disconnected teams and leaders who are looking to foster an environment of engagement and effortless work. Finding the balance between passion and burnout is the key to turning you and your team into an engaged powerhouse. For leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone in between feeling the weight of constant organizational change and the challenge of keeping productivity at its peak, this conversation promises to be a game changer. My guest is here to guide us through the journey of making work feel effortless. Join me now for my conversation with culture, engagement, and peak performer and expert, Sneha Mandela. Well, hi Sneha, welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you.
0: Thank you so much for the opportunity, Michael.
1: Now, where are we speaking to you from today?
0: I'm from Reno, Nevada right now. It's nice and bright and sunny. Though a little colder for my liking, but I love
1: sunny days. It's a beautiful area. You've got Truckee and you've got Lake Tahoe and everything up all in that area there. You do get a lot of snow though, but California needs it. And Nevada too. You're right on that line. I know exactly where you are. Delighted to have you here. And we've got some interesting things we're going to be talking about. Basically, you've been transforming organizations and employees in your work. We're going to get into that and creating engaged powerhouses within organizations. But let's start with how we got there, because I know you're just coming up on your 10th anniversary, but let's give our listeners just a little background of where you came from and how you got here.
0: Thank you for actually pointing that out. Coming up on 10 years here in the US. So I come from a culture that values the hustle and the grind and hard work. As I was growing up, I didn't have a lot of choice with respect to what my career is going to look like. My parents gave me and society in general gave me very limited choices in how I was going to prosper. And that for me looked like either become a doctor. Or engineering or lawyers, Neha. And I chose the easiest of the three. I thought engineering was going to be game. It's going to be fun. And I did my bachelor's in India and quickly realized that I was feeling stifled with respect to the growth that I was having back in India. So I came to the US to explore what else could be out there and also to explore a culture that values freedom a lot. And that's the best thing that I like about living here in my 10 years. That's the first thing that comes to my mind, the placement of value on freedom. And as soon as I came here, did my master's in industrial engineering. So kept that engineering degree going. And I was recruited by a huge organization way before I even graduated. And I thought I was all set for life. You would think this girl had everything going well for her. My parents were like super enthusiastic about my job placement back home in India. But less than a year in, I started experiencing what I would call as the Sunday dreads, not just the Monday blues, okay, the deep, heavy, yeah, the deep, heavy feeling that would set into me on Sunday afternoons, because I'm dreading the week ahead. And I asked myself, is this how the rest of my career is going to feel like I came halfway across the world, and I'm still not able to escape that feeling of constraints at work. Sure, I feel the freedom in life, but I don't feel the freedom at work. And that's why I had to figure something out, get myself out of those restraints and figure out a way to find my slow at work where work doesn't feel like work. Work feels like play. And I'm so glad to say that I figured that out and I have made it a mission to bring out these conditions, these environments for other people in their workplaces as well. That's what I care about the most.
1: And I know you came over, you, I think you had a thousand dollars when you landed and uh, basically <laughs> you had did. to get a job and start paying the bills and pretty much doing everything. And then you evolved into a renowned speaker. You've done a TEDx talk to your consultant speaker. Um, I'm assuming books are on their way and uh, yeah, good stuff. Now you picked a subject matter based on your own personal lifestyle. that's what started that role for you, right? So you started looking and going, Hey, I got the Sunday dreads. I don't want the Monday blues. I want something I can have some fun and work with. And you actually focused on Africa. Effortless work. That's what really attracted me to your subject matter. And if people go on YouTube to search, you got tons of videos in there and all kinds of good content. Explain that one for us because I'm up for it. I'm a baby boomer and you're a millennial. And how does effortless work? Because I'm a fan. It sounds good to me. How do we achieve that?
0: So it's funny because it all started from my dad. I have known my dad to have worked for a single company his entire career. Mm. And he would put his work before a lot of other priorities in life. And that's the baby boomer generation that I know through my yeah. my parents and it's funny because I don't operate that way when he says that you have to work hard and success will follow the money will follow the fame will follow and I'm like okay so do I keep working hard until I turn 60 and then wait for everything else to fall into place so it's the whole means goals versus end goals so while I'm chasing the end goals am I like getting rid of all the happiness that I deserve to feel In my life, in order to chase that particular end goal. So that's the reason why I started developing a mindset that kind of became the anti hard work, anti hustle features that I have grown up with in the culture that I have grown up with. And I asked myself, does hard work really lead to success? And a lot of research has already shown that hard work, yes, sure, leads to better results. But after a point, the break even point, it actually leads to diminished productivity leads to increased stress. We know people who are working hard and are burning out all the time. And I didn't want to be that. And with more millennials in the workforce, with Gen Z entering the workforce now, we know that we don't think the way my dad did. I want to be loyal to a company my entire career. We want to be loyal to ourselves first the millennial generation and the Gen Z generation. We don't want to be loyal to a particular company. We want to be loyal to the idea of what we want in an ideal life. And if hard work is going against the grain for us, we would want to find smarter ways to work. We want to find effortless ways to work. And when I say effortless, it's not effort hyphenless. I'm not saying your career is going to be devoid of any effort. I'm saying that if you figure out a way to work, in a way that work feels like play, in a way that work doesn't feel like work, that is the definition of effortless work. And that's what I'm all about.
1: Yeah, it's a good definition. What's funny is, you know, you talk about the generations, we have five generations out in the marketplace right now, and they're finding frustrations with the Gen Z, working with the Gen Z, and they're saying, "Oh, they just don't want to work." That work-life balance I think is important. I think it's critical. And it's important for the workforce too because many organizations are grappling with low engagement scores, high turnover. So from your perspective, what are some of the root causes of these issues and how can leaders begin to address them effectively?
0: I'm going to address both the aspects that you just mentioned. So, imagine I am fresh out of college. I just graduated and I'm entering into the workforce, right? I'm not entering into the workforce thinking that I'm just going to be there to collect my paycheck and clock in, clock out and go home. Something about the company, something about the work excites me that I find elements of my passion in there. And that's why I took up that job offer. So I'm like beaming full of hope when I first joined. Over the time, that passion and that engagement and that enthusiasm in a worker declines. And that is what is being reflected in the low engagement scores. We have been told all our life that you have to chase your passion, follow your passion, and things will fall into place. There are sometimes things that don't help us pay the bills. And you know, when you have a distraction with unpaid bills, there's no way that your passion is going to give you a lot of joy. And the fact that anyone, who has ever read a self-help book or has gone through any kind of leadership training that finding joy in what you do that is either making something your passion or chasing your passion goes a long way in helping you feel very fulfilled in what you're doing. But the point is, we know people who are doing what they love and they're burning out still. So the point is that people who are doing what they love, they're not the ones who are fully engaged at work. So what is the missing factor really? So in order to understand that, you have to realize that passion leads to a critical aspect that leads to higher productivity, higher results as well. And that is drive. That is internal motivation. You feel passionate about something you don't need. You're not very dependent on an external reward or you're not afraid of an external punishment. You want to chase it. You want to do it by the virtue of how rewarding the activity feels. Wouldn't be thinking about the paycheck. That's not the first thing that comes to mind. And that drive leads to higher productivity and higher engagement levels at work. But again, the missing factor is that people who are passionate are still burning out, which means that doing what you love at this moment in the current work culture, work climate that we have is not enough. You also need to find ways to do that thing in the way you love to do it. Doing what you love versus doing it in the way you love to do it. Yeah, I'll take an example. So let's say you are a world-class artist, Michael. And I come to you and say, hey, I want to capture this amazing moment in my life. And I want you to sketch this particular scene. I want to capture it. And you are amazing with using the medium of watercolors, okay? And I'm a billionaire client. I come to you, Michael. I want you to capture this particular scenario. You're like, great. I'll have the best possible masterpiece for you in 10 days two days later i come to you and i place a restriction on you and i say michael i don't want you to use watercolors i know you're also well trained in oil paints can you please use oil paints as your medium for this particular painting now my question to you at that point would be 10 days later do you think you'll have a masterpiece for me no even if it would be a masterpiece i'm sure you would have yeah. through that entire process like beating yourself up why did i accept this task from this billionaire client right because you are not enjoying the process so you're in what you love but i just now placed a restriction on the way you do it it's the and constraints, exactly.
1: yeah. It's the it's constraints that that trap us up. And why do I have to do it your way? As long as I get the result that we're looking for, so we should be maybe focused on results. And you actually are very formulaic with this, and I thought it was an interesting formula. In order to sustain peak performance, there's an equal sign in front of that, and we call it getting into the flow, or you call it effortless flow, and it's taking drive plus our authenticity. So we take drive and authenticity, which creates effortless flow, which then gives us sustained peak performance. Unpack that a little bit because it's actually quite powerful.
0: Yeah. So like I was saying, when people think that, oh, we have someone who is very passionate about the job, so we just hired them. And then they are beaming full of hope. They join the workforce. And then the leaders start putting constraints one after the other, after the other, without explaining why, without gaining the buy-in from the workforce. Now I'm sitting there thinking, I thought I loved this job? What happened a year in? That's exactly how I was feeling when I started my career here. I thought this was stuff that I love to do. This is Something that I'm passionate about. What I didn't realize was that I wasn't feeling authentic at work because I had to work my way around all of these restrictions that were placed on me. Now imagine you were left to work on any project that you felt passionate about. You had full freedom, no restraints to work on it the way you would love to do it. You would enter into a state that felt flowy, that felt quite effortless to you. You're putting in the work, but it doesn't feel like what you're putting in the effort but the work feels effortless so that is what positive psychologists would describe as a flow state where your mind and your body are performing at their optimal state because your body is flooded with all of these neurochemicals that are performance enhancing because you're totally feeling rewarded your stress is reduced you're enjoying what you're doing so automatically your productivity increases your creativity increases and And as a byproduct of your enjoyment, you feeling in flow, the result is going to be a thousand times better than if you weren't feeling driven about it and you weren't feeling authentic about what you were doing. So that is the missing factor in a lot of workplaces. You get a bunch of excited, driven people together, passionate people together, but you place a bunch of restraints on them, constraints on them. You don't allow them to be themselves at work. They don't get into flow and work feels dreary.
1: Like work, yeah. Well, that obviously is the key to transforming from disconnected to connected. And I'm wondering if it has to do with the generations too, because a lot of the leaders today, and maybe you're seeing that change and evolve as we have younger leaders now, we're getting the 40 year olds, you're starting to lead some of these bigger corporations. And I know you work in this world where, you know, as a baby boomer, it was command and control. Like, here's your management structure. We're gonna give you orders. We want you to achieve these tasks. Here's the results that we want. We gotta get this for this quarter. are seeing that transformation with it? Because some of the progressive companies, they allow their workers to work one day. I think Google's one day a week, they're allowed to work on any project they want to. Apple has the same, a lot of these companies. What are you saying out there?
0: This is the classic example I love to take and show to leaders, right? When I'm out there speaking about this formula, and it's a formula because my background is engineering. I love process. I love formula. And it helps break down concepts in a very understandable manner. I sit there and I'm talking to them about this formula. And the first question that leaders come up with is that, well, this is all great, but we can't let all our people, all our employees work on what they love and the way they love to do it, help them feel driven and authentic at the same time. What do we do? And I see. You don't have to change jobs overnight. That's not what I'm standing here and asking you to do. I am asking you to add a little bit more drive and a little bit more authenticity to what your people are already doing. Can you find ways or elements that help them feel more driven and passionate about what they do? Can you add a little bit more of it? What are their personality styles like? What are their work styles and preferences? What helps them feel more authentic at work? What is the way that they love to do things? Can you find that out and give them a little bit more freedom in adding those elements into what they already do? I'm not asking you to change jobs overnight. Can you add a little bit more drive and authenticity to what your people are already doing? And that's exactly the example that I like to take. So Google's 20% project that you were talking about when a lot of teams in Google have been traditionally allowing their employees to work a Friday on the projects they love in the way they love to do it because that gets them into flow. And a great example of the outcome of such an initiative at work would be Gmail was born born out of the Google's 20%. Yeah, I'm saying that by virtue of task commanding your attention, your employees are already spending a little bit of time in flow unconsciously. Okay. So that little bit of time is 5%. Studies show that if you increase the time in flow from 5 to 15%, okay, so the 10% delta, 40-hour work week would be six hours. It need not even be a whole Friday. It's six hours per week. Can you get them to work on projects that get them into flow that they feel driven and authentic and that itself can double productivity in employees with higher productivity comes higher engagement levels especially when they're working on things that they are getting into flow with
1: so it's got an exponential return on investment for that time investment because they're probably wasting it anyway if they're busy surfing the internet checking emails doing things because they're trying to avoid that burnout and take Mm -hmm. it off of that this episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e commerce, B2C, and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. Active Campaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Sineha Mandela. You actually have a framework for achieving optimum results with minimal burnout, and it's intriguing that particular model you have. Without giving away your secret sauce, can you give us a glimpse of some of the principles that underpin that framework?
0: Absolutely. So I also want to touch upon what you just talked about, coasting phenomenon, right? Yeah, like, where yeah people let's start are just, there.
1: Sure. We can look like we're busy. We spend a whole day and accomplish nothing.
0: Exactly. So this framework actually comprises a majority of people like that. Because if you imagine a bell curve, okay, you imagine a normal distribution, you have yeah. Roughly around, let's say, 10% of employees who are your all stars who don't need any kind of motivation or intervention from their managers. They are just the go getters, they're raising the bar for everyone. They don't need a lot of support from the leadership. On the other end of the spectrum, you have employees who are just clocking in, clocking out, and collecting their paycheck, go home. Those are the people who are bringing the engagement scores down as well. Now, there is nothing that you can do, at least when compared to the majority in the middle that can influence what they're there for. They want to pay their bills. They are passing time until they get onto the next gig or they get their business or whatever. My framework is more relevant for this majority in the middle, the the bell curve aspect, right? So let's say the 80% in the middle that feel kind of lost, that started off with full of energy, full of engagement, full of enthusiasm, and now they are quite, quitting. Why? Because they started to feel the Monday blues and the Sunday dreads, for example, and they just decided to draw boundaries. And they decided that this company is not going to get any more of my attention than I want to give it. So they draw boundaries. It's funny that a lot of research says that most of majority of the workforce spends less than four hours being productive in a single day at work. That's just sad. So people are just coasting, browsing social media, chatting with friends. I don't know what they're spending the rest of the time with, but that's their idea of self-preservation. because yeah. so They don't want to burn out. They don't want to get into the negative effects. But if you could just switch that over and tap into their peak potential, getting them to perform in a manner that they truly enjoy by reducing the side effects of the burnout and the hustle and the stress, that is where businesses can get the happy medium between happy engaged employees and extraordinary business results they don't have to be mutually exclusive So this is where the hr departments can stop worrying about conducting taco tuesdays and you know foosball tables foosball tables beer on tap because that's very surface level stuff that's going to keep the all-stars happy and the other extreme just, just cruising by, but the majority in the middle not going to make any difference.
1: So focus Those on surface
0: middle. level. Yes. The surface level bandage from HR department are not going to work. So the way I like to work with this framework is get the HR department involved, get the leadership involved and figure out what drives your people. What percentage of their current responsibility aligns with their passion currently. And let's find out what makes your people show up in their whole self at work, helps them feel more authentic. What are their personality styles? What are their core values? How are they ensuring that their core values are showing up in the way they work? What are their communication styles and preferences? And this is where the differences in generations come into the picture as well. Maybe baby boomers were shoot you an email or you know call you up if there's something whereas gen y or gen z would want to work through instant messaging so that's how you can bring your team together and figure out that okay this is what your personal values are this is what your personal way of working is this is what personally drives you this is what personally drives me this is what personally gets me into flow and that's how you bring a team together because if you are placing restraints or getting everyone to work on the same thing and assume that everyone's outcome is going to be the same, then what's the point of having a team? A team is fitting people together like amazing puzzle pieces, right? Your goal shouldn't be creating cookie cutter employees. So yeah, my framework would be to get the HR department and leadership involved to understand what drives your people, what helps your people feel more authentic and ensuring that you're adding elements of those to increase the time that they spend into flow to create a transformational experience where they are being productive, but not only that, they're performing at the peak and they're highly engaged individuals at work.
1: And motivate no, it makes sense. Like, I've always felt that most people in organizations, and there's always exceptions, operate at about a 65%, 70% efficiency rate, meaning there's days they are working really hard, they're doing things, they're tasked, they're focused on tasks. But at the end of the day, whatever they're being paid, they tend to just work whatever they feel is fair value for that. In other words, they're gonna cheat you anyway. So what you're saying is forget about the two extremes. All right, go for the bulk, 80% of the population, bring those processes, bring those opportunities for them. And that'll usually carry over and they'll probably bleed into the extremes a little bit as well so that it becomes contagious, right? Because when Mm -hmm. people get on it, it becomes more of a fun place to work. So it's finding something that gets them up early, makes them wanna show up at work and literally show up at work. Not just be a body in a seat, but actually, show up. That's interesting. And how's that going with organizations? So when you go into organizations, is that well received? Can you give us examples of transformative situations where maybe Sineha went in here, she put in her framework and the company was doing this and then here was the outcome or when companies have done that or employed your framework, the kind of results that they could expect to see?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So one thing, a couple of industries that resonate highly with what I talk about would be the tech industry because they have experience. What I describe as flow when they are just there getting their work done, they're coding late into the night, they forget to eat, and they're like, aha, I know what that feeling of literal high is. So I get them to resonate very strongly with the concept of flow. The other industry is operations and manufacturing and fulfillment, because they have a lot of majority in the middle, and they realize that they cannot change the way they work, they cannot assign them new jobs, but they do resonate with with the aspect of what I call as the 4% rule that I share with them. So Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, the grandfather of flow, who dedicated his entire life for this research, has come up with this rule called the 4% flow, which basically means that flow occurs in the sweet spot of boredom and anxiety, okay? If you're too bored, if your current skill level matches the task challenge, then you're going to feel bored. It's going to be a repetitive task, yep. which is what happens in operations, so there resonates extra with it. And flow doesn't happen when you're feeling anxious, when the challenge of the task feels so much higher than your current skill level.
1: Your survival mode.
0: Yeah. So you have to find that sweet spot and his research says that sweet spot is four percent this is where the operations Mm. folks jump because they're like i know what the current skill level of my people is because it would be units per hour or whatever they have well defined kpi so all i need to do is just give them a task that is just four percent more challenging than their current skill level that's what this research really means so if you can bake a hundred cakes in a hundred days in order to artificially induce flow in you without completely changing the way you work or what you work on, all you need to have your people do is bake 104 cakes in the same amount of time. So that's like 4% extra work or bake the same amount of cakes in 4% lesser time. So in 96 days instead of 100 days. So this is where operations folks are like, yeah, this is totally something that I can implement. So I'm not just throwing them into the fire, but I'm focusing on that incremental change because the KPIs are so well defined. Whereas the tech industry resonates highly with, I know that feeling, I know when my people are in that feeling, I need to figure out a way to get them more into flow. So what are those projects that help them feel more driven and authentic? And they try to go the Apple route and the Google's 20% project route, giving them a particular time. Hackathons are a great way for it, right? When there are four days when they're just working on a project that they want to work on in the way they want to work on, this is why it resonates with the tech industry.
1: No, it's very, very interesting. So I work with sales and marketing people and what's interesting and entrepreneurs. So we work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. We have a program we're launching called Rainmaker 10X and it's how do we 10X our productivity? And if I said to you, okay, "I want you to 1x, I want you to 1.5x your productivity or do whatever," you're going, "Oh man, I've already worked my butt off. I'm already facing burnout. How do I 10x what I'm doing?" Right? But there's lots of ways in which you could achieve a 1.25, a 1.50. There's lots of ways to do it. If I say, "I want you to 10x your results and your productivity," there's not many ways to do that. There's probably only one or two ways, and it takes a lot of thought. We're not even going to come up with it in our meeting here, but you start to compute and think about it. So you start to look at the value you're bringing and start looking at systems and process and how can I leverage and accelerate. And it, it's doable. Those things are doable. But what's interesting is to set up certain days. So there's certain days of the week, for instance, and I call mine Rainmaker days. So I have two a week and 80% of my day is on money-making activities, revenue-producing activities. I am full out on those days. So typically they're Wednesdays and Thursdays, Tuesdays or Thursdays. I plan them in a week advance, but I am full out. And I know I only do three things on those days. That's it. And it's motivating, it's exciting, it's it's got all the elements to, you know, everything that I love. Then I have maintenance days twice a week. So a maintenance day, or actually two and a half, is the clean up the mess. It's the details. I still go to meetings, I still do things, I still do day-to-day activities. Let's call it a normal day, all right? So a Rainmaker Day is a game day. And I actually got this concept from Dan Sullivan and Strategic Coach in 1989. I was in the program and it's a phenomenal program and an entrepreneurial time system. And we've evolved it to our own work levels, but it's really about having time and slots where we're doing this thing, whatever it is. We had a guest on recently and she was talking about 25 minutes, plan everything in 25 minute little segments because everyone oh, can do, right? yeah, do 25 minutes, just take a 25 minute block, work on it, and then go take a break for a little bit because our focus and our time, it matters. And then it, you feel like you're accomplishing something. I like to write, but it interferes sometimes with the work. So I do that first thing in the morning or I do my R&D at certain times that keeps me energized, right? So the whole goal is to avoid burnout because sometimes we feel that. Now you emphasize though that achieving peak performance doesn't require long hours, doesn't require 40, 50, 60 hours. It doesn't require the hustle, the grind. Can you share a practical tip or strategy for our listeners who are looking to improve their productivity?
0: What you just shared is a great way to start but Because that is the tip that I offer the first and foremost is to find out what are your peak productive hours. And that displays what you just explained, a degree of self-awareness where I know that, okay, I am the most productive Monday mornings or Mondays and Tuesdays to call them the Rainmaker days, right? In your example. So what are your styles? What are the things that pull you up? pull your energy up and sometimes bring your energy down. So that is the kind of self-awareness that you and I can't teach anyone. That's something for your audience and anyone who's listening to this right now to actually reflect on how things are with them. When do you feel the most alive when you're doing something? Is it the type of the task that determines how alive and energized you feel? Or is it the time of the day or the day in the week or uh, whom you're working with? Perhaps it's just you alone or when you're in a particular group that resonates highly with uh, what your beliefs are and what your goals are. So those are the uh, determining factors that you need to find out in order to get some deep work done. Those are the moments where your productivity is peaking, you are more susceptible to flow, and your body is being flooded by neurochemicals that will bring your stress down because you're thoroughly enjoying what you're doing. So the question is, do you have the awareness, like, why don't you take some time to reflect on what your peak productive hours or times in the week are? And then you would want to eat your biggest frog first during <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Those exactly. Times, right? Yeah. And yeah. uh, I love the Pomodoro technique because it's super helpful for those on the ADHD spectrum because it helps you yeah. focus for 25 minutes and then take a break. So it's sure, like people can focus for at least 25 minutes, right? I'm not asking you to have a four-hour focus session or a study session. 25 minutes, easy peasy, doable. For certain other people, though they would argue that in order to get some deep work done, 25 minutes is in fact a little bit more distractive because they would have to take a break and that would disrupt the flow that they are in. And usually for them, it's two to three hours of a chunk in time. For me, Personally, it's a three hour chunk and then I end up taking like a 30 minute break. So those are the things that you need to be conscious about. Lots of amazing people sharing a lot of amazing tips out there, but understanding what makes you authentically performing at your peak. That's what is important. Everyone has goals. Everyone has passion. Are you finding the best way for you to work? in your own way, the way that you would love to do it in a sustainable manner, because that's the sustainable piece that I put before the peak performance. Peak performance, amazing. Anyone can perform at their peak, could be a one big shot one day and then, you know, crash the next day.
1: And we've moved into a new time where it's 24-7, things are going on constantly. And I find for me, I'll get times where... Things are tasks, things I don't love to do, that fits into my 25-minute slots. And to your point, if I'm writing or I'm working on something, two, three hours can zing by just like, I don't even know where the time went. And I like those times. And then there's times where I don't feel like working at all, or I've had enough, or I'm checking out. For me, I'll go hit the gym for an hour and then come back, and I'll be thinking while I'm on a treadmill, I'll read with my ears and listen to something, which stimulates new thought, which then I come back and I'll capture that thought or take care of it. So it's finding an independent system. And I think that's the core message, of what you teach is that each of us are individuals that we can't just be this herd that we're all just being herded in doing the same tasks doing the same things we work to our strengths find what we love to do and then just work that into a time so that we avoid the burnout and achieve that drive and authenticity when you talk about the authenticity and getting into the flow and most of us have all experienced flow to some degree or at least hopefully what do you mean by the authenticity piece we get the drive I understand that what's the degree how much authenticity do we need to bring to the table?
0: And this is the most common question I get asked to when I'm speaking and I'm conducting workshops, like drive again, We've gone through training enough number of times to understand drive, but authenticity sounds what do we mean? right or, or, mm-hmm. or fluffy, right? And right. basically is being true to who you are, whether you're performing a task, whether you're taking rest, whether you're interacting with someone, because here's the thing. If you try to do things in the way that you don't naturally tend to do or you try to be someone whom you're not, you are spending energy. You are spending energy into doing things that is not your default way of doing. You're spending energy into being someone whom you're not. Guess what? If you figured out a way to be authentic, took that time to build that self-awareness where you could put your foot down and say, Michael, I am introverted. I am just taking an example. Michael, I'm introverted. I love to lean back and listen to your workshop and your talk. Just don't think that I'm feeling disconnected or disengaged. I'm My default style is to observe all the information. And if I have questions, you can trust me that I'll come to you and ask you those questions. That's me establishing my authentic way of being an audience in your workshop and during your talk. So if more of us would put our foot down and understand who we truly are and start expressing more of that, we are creating the space around ourselves to allow ourselves to be more authentic at work. And authenticity is just that being true to who you are. The concept comes from Eastern philosophy, Taoism, where lots of great leaders have shared that you want to be in a state of being for fulfillment and happiness not in a state of doing, being versus doing. So that's an easy question anyone can ask themselves. Am I being when I'm doing this task? or am I doing? Does it feel like I'm like struggling and swimming upstream? So that is what authenticity really is. It is a lot of moments of you just being. And I understand that your freedom ends where my nose begins and my freedom right, ends right where right, right, your right. nose begins. And especially in a work culture, but those are the negotiations. Those are the high quality conversations we need to be having together as colleagues, as teams to establish what my authentic way of doing things are, what my authentic way of communication and conversing is, and then find that happy medium that will work for each of us so if you for example are showing up in the way that I wouldn't show up in a particular I don't know like a team meeting or during a team project I would give you the benefit of doubt and reach out to you and ask you things like hey is this how you is this your default of problem solving or brainstorming I appreciate that and this is what my style is is there a way that we can make this work for us. This is how you can get individuals to be functioning in flow. And when you put a bunch of people who are authentic, who are driven, who are performing in their flow at their peak, the effect gets compounded. Because now you have this whole group experiencing flow where it becomes very significant. It becomes a very significant, meaningful experience as a team. That's what organizations should aim for not getting a bunch of people through a to-do list for each and do
1: tasks. I think what you said is powerful. When we operate from a state of being instead of doing, we were always taught, geez, if I do this and go to college and get a degree, and if I do this for 40 years, I'll have this thing called a pension. I'll have this thing called a nice house. I'll have a nice car. And the problem is is we're doing, 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 doing. Mm -hmm. And if we declare what it is we want to be and come from the place of beingness, then let the doingness come out of that. In other words, if you decide you want to be a world-class speaker, world-class author, world-class on your topic, let the doingness, the day-to-day stuff, the mundane stuff, come out of that state of being. If you're going to be a mama or a dad, a grandma or a grandpa, or a citizen of the planet, be the best one. And then mm-hmm. let the doingness come out, declare you're going to be the best at what you can do, the best to breed. Oh, so I think that's really part. I think you're onto something there. So last question for you, looking towards the future, how do you see the landscape of work culture and employee engagement evolving? And what should leaders be focusing on today to prepare for that future?
0: This is funny because this is what my keynote and workshops are titled The Effortless Future of Work. So I care about this a lot. I talk about this a lot because the future is going to be different from what the past has been. It has always been changing the landscape of work. And you would see a lot more people who care more about themselves, their fulfillment and their happiness and engagement at work versus what they're supposed to be doing at work. And with this landscape changing, leaders would have to shift from throwing more people in to get more results or throwing more hours in to get more work, but to really focus on their people as people. Processes are amazing, but what will get you results are the people who run those processes. And I see this mindset shift happening. It's just the lack of what are the practical tips that should I start really doing? And I would say leaders should start off with getting to know who their people are, what drives them, what helps them feel authentic, how do I bring those elements into what they're already doing? Because that will lead to avoiding the nonsense HR band-aids of Taco Tuesdays and ping pong tables, and really incisively affect the core engagement levels of employees. And that would make a totally different workplace where distractions are secondary, where coasting and quiet quitting is secondary. But these are a bunch of people who come together to feel alive at work and make a difference. And that's what we need in the world now.
1: No, I agree. Hey, you're very generous, by the way, with all your content, with all your principles and your insights. I know you have a gift for our listeners as well. They can go to your website, which we'll have all of that in the show notes, the link, but you're offering a book, Five Reasons Your Employees Are Not As Productive as They Should Be, and what you can do about it. It's an ebook, and they can just simply go to the website and obtain it there. And again, we'll have all of that information. They can visit you on YouTube. You've got a great channel. I've subscribed to it, so you've got lots of tidbits in there. Anyone who deals with employees, managing people, even for yourself, You got lots of insights there. And like I say, you're very prolific in your content creation and practical. It's practical stuff. Hey, thanks so much for sharing some of your time and your insights with us. I think it's an evolution, not a revolution in the workplace. Sunay, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today.
0: Thank you once again for the opportunity, Michael.
1: This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.